Good morning, everybody. My name is Matthew. Uh, welcome to the International Church of Vilnius. More than welcome to be here. We're glad you're here to worship. Um, if you're a guest today, we'll, we'll be following the order of worship, which you should have received at the door. So, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. May our worship service this morning praise you, O Christ. Our first hymn this morning is 113, an old favorite of mine, Holy, Holy, Holy. If you'd stand and sing, please. blessings of the Christian faith is that we get to admit we're wrong to God. We don't have to hide it. The purpose of the gospel is to forgive sins that we acknowledge, and so we confess in our service as a reflection of God's grace for us. Friends in Christ, let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy and in our song we will praise our God. Our responsive reading this morning uh, comes from Psalm 27, two verses, four and five. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Our second hymn this morning is 412, 412, Be Thou My Vision. First scripture reading this morning comes from Numbers chapter 11. <clears throat> now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Teberah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat! We remembered the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second read this reading this morning comes from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul speaks. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him, 
We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You can have a seat, please. Our gospel reading from Mark 10 has two responses from the people as they listen to Jesus. Now, one of these responses may, may be uh, something that you can relate to. Maybe not. The two responses are this. Astonishment and fear. Now, I... I was reading, or actually I was talking about a book that, that Jenny was reading recently, and the book is very similar to maybe a secular argument that's against religion or not uh, in favor of the supernatural. And uh, one thing that I've come across over the years uh, when I've discussed various things with people about faith is that there is a... An argument that supposes that Christianity is some kind of pacification, that people, people believe in it because it, it, it helps them get through their problems, that they may not have a way to get out of certain things, and so it's kind of like a, an easy way out to believe in something. And I've always been fascinated by that argument because of texts like this and what I've known personally from my own faith. That if you're looking for an easy way out, there, there are other things that you can go to besides Christianity in terms of difficulty. And this is exactly how the people following Jesus respond. He says they're going up to Jerusalem in verse 32. The center of Jewish worship. Why are we going there, Jesus? We've seen what's happened with the Pharisees. You've spoken with various people in Israel. Some have rejected you. Some have followed you. Why would we go to the center of the Jewish religion if you're speaking things about an alternative way or some, some type of faith that, that isn't based on the law of Moses? Why would we go into the proverbial lion's den Aren't we going to be in danger? Where are you leading us, Jesus? Now, in the context of, of what I was saying about the secular arguments, you as Christians or those who are or at least sympathetic to the Christian faith, maybe. Why do you believe? Why do you trust? Is it out of this kind of tradition or maybe out of some superstition that if you pray or you come to church or you do nice things, God will bless you, which really isn't the gospel at all. Is it genuine faith that, yes, I'm a sinner and I want to worship and I want to be amongst other believers and encourage each other and to remind ourselves of the goodness of Jesus? Or maybe it comes out of some personal desire to know God, to be with him, to experience transformation in your life. Maybe something in your past or maybe in your present. We all have that. When we walk with Jesus, He leads us sometimes to places where it's uncomfortable for us. And that's exactly what's happening to the disciples here. Just 12 men with a lot of problems, a lot of immaturity, following Jesus, hoping that things will change for them, hoping that he's true, believing that he is sent from God, and yet they're going into the middle of a whole system, of a city of a, a, that's the center of the Jewish faith that seems to be what Jesus is butting heads against. Okay, so there's, we, we have a problem here. Jesus leading the way. Are we following him? His direction is provided. He wants to lead us. He wants maybe not to take us geographically to Jerusalem, 
But as we sit here today and as we read these texts, it reminds us that he is leading us somewhere. He does want to take us somewhere. Not necessarily for the end result, but that in the midst of that travel, in the midst of that journey, you could say, we're changed and we learn. And we think about, you could think about the Exodus. Moses is, or God sends Moses to lead the people out of, his, out of Egypt. Excuse me. And what do they immediately do? They go to the mountain to, to receive instructions from God and then they wander in the desert for 40 years. And that's exactly what's happening in Numbers here. They're saying, we had cucumbers, we had melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We, what we really want is really nice food. And even though we were slaves, God, we would rather go back to slavery and at least we have something to eat. Instead of being out here in this desert, God was leading them somewhere. It was ultimately to the promised land, but it was the process that taught them how to trust. It taught them their need. It taught them what their deficiencies were, which was brought out in the law. As we follow Christ, he's going to lead us through things. I've talked to some of you individually over the years. God has, has clearly led you into difficult circumstances to teach you. And to teach me and, and to bring us together to pray and see him move in those things. So it says the disciples are astonished. One thing I like, I like, uh, I like to look up the origins of words and especially in the biblical text. Etymology. And this word is ancient. It's, it's obviously ancient Greek, but it comes from Sanskrit, which means to be frozen stiff in your tracks. You can't move. To be astonished. To be, you could say, shell-shocked. You know, if you're in the military or you're amazed, it's, it's caused you to, to, to freeze. Something that Jesus had said had, had, had blown their minds. Now, in the passage before this section... We see the rich young ruler, and if you remember him, he's asking Jesus what he ought to do. Jesus says to sell your things, and this makes him very sad. And, he, and Jesus says, how hard is it for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? And then he says it again, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the, the disciples say, well, then who can be saved, Jesus? Because aren't the rich people blessed? Aren't, the, aren't they the most likely to, to receive God's blessing? Who then can be saved? And he says, well, it's impossible with men or with people, but all things are possible with God. They're astonished by this teaching. It doesn't make sense to them, and it causes them to realize something else is different going on here. And we go back to our secular friend that says that this is just some pacification. It's to, it's to pacify the problems that we face. And yet Jesus is asking, he's demanding, really, if you want to follow me, this is where we're going. It's astonishing to hear the words of Jesus, especially not just as we read what he says to other people, but in the quietness of our hearts, what he says to us. When we think about what it actually means for us in my life as I go to work or as I raise my kids or as I live my life. But notice that there's two responses. The disciples are astonished. They're, they're, they're amazed by it. Wow, I've never heard anything like this. I, I might actually be interested in following this man. I might be actually interested in, in, in dedicating my life to his teachings. But then we have those who are afraid. It's where we get the, the word phobia, the verb phobeo, to fear. It's dread. It's a reverence of, of scariness. It's, it's, it's terror. You see, just like the people that came out of, of Egypt, the other people that are following Jesus, they see what he's offering, where he's leading them, and they say, no, thank you. I don't want that. I don't want to end up like you, Jesus. Or maybe we could spin it another way. I don't want to be exposed the way that you expose people, Jesus. Like we just confessed, we confess our sins because we believe that we're trusted or that God is going to be faithful to us and so we trust him. But there's plenty of people in this world that have been burned 
maybe even by Christians, maybe even by the religious. I said, no, I, I've, 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 been, I've been personal. I've been open. I've been confessional in those scenarios. And I know exactly what it's like to be judged and to, for someone to use information about me, it may be against me. I'm not following that. But why is the response different? And in verse 30, before this passage, he says, Blessings will come to those who trust, but also persecutions. Who would willingly walk into persecution unless, unless, unless there's something more valuable than the price that's to be paid in persecutions. So he takes the 12 aside, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a similar thing to what, what Peter said two weeks ago when he put his arm around Jesus. You know, maybe he didn't, but that's my explanation. He took Jesus aside and he said, hey, maybe, you, maybe we shouldn't do this. How, how, how could you possibly walk into your death, Jesus, and so this is, the, this is the same thing that he's doing to them. He took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen. And it says that he told them again. They know, they've heard over and over and over, but somehow they think in their minds still that what Jesus is doing is different than what he says he's going to do. He says he's going to die. And they're like, oh, no, Jesus, let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's just kick out the Romans. Let's just set up the kingdom of heaven. And, and in fact... After this passage, they say, why don't you set up a couple of us as your right and left-hand man so we can experience the power and the blessing of the kingdom? But he says, no, that's not what I'm doing, guys. Sometimes God gives us inside information. He reminds us. It's kind of going through that process, through the desert, like the Egyptians after they left Egypt, they, the Israelites went through the desert to, to learn about themselves. Sometimes God gives us inside information, and I think a, a lot of times it comes through the text. It comes through the biblical text. When we read, we see things about ourselves that cause us maybe to stop and think, wow, this is a good message for me. Maybe it comes from a friend. Maybe it comes from a pastor on Sunday. Maybe it comes from... Uh, a, a buddy that, that, that prays for you. Maybe it comes from maybe the voice of God himself. Just a conviction in your heart. You see something happen in someone else's life and, and you feel touched and you think, wow, that's a good message for me. Sometimes God gives us inside information, but mostly we know that information already. The disciples knew where Jesus was going, but they didn't listen to him because they wanted something else. But it still says that they were astonished by what he was teaching. So he tells them again, the Son of Man, this is verse 33, the Son of Man will be betrayed. Now this, this means and implies that someone is going to deceitfully Stab him in the back and give him over to someone else. Now we know later on at the, at the Last Supper that Jesus says that one of them will actually be that person who betrays him. But think about this. They already don't want to follow Jesus to their, to their death, possibly. But they also don't want to be put in the position where they might betray Jesus. Now think about that. He says the Son of Man will be betrayed. Who would betray him besides people who are closest to him? All right, it's revealing something about them too. But when we follow Christ, we will be betrayed. Some of you even have had issues with your families because of the differences of belief. That when you follow Christ, it means that you... you your life changes and you, you seek things of heaven. You seek things of truth and peace and mercy and grace. And some people aren't about those things. Maybe they are on paper. When you follow Christ, you have the potential of being betrayed. He says they will, they will betray the Son of Man. He'll be handed over and they will condemn him to death. By who? The religious leaders. 
They will condemn him to death. And there's something about us. Christ, God, doesn't ask us to sacrifice on the cross for other people like he did for us, but he does ask us to sacrifice. And it may be that. It's not for other people's sins, but it's an extension of what he's done for us. What he has done for us is such a perfect picture of how we are to live our lives in service to other people. But notice that it comes at a, at a cost in this life. Then, not only is he going to be condemned by the religious elite, he's going to be handed over again, betrayed again, to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are looked down upon as, as impure people to the Jews. These Jewish men, they know exactly what that means. The Jewish people, are, are the, the Jewish people see the Gentiles as outsiders, as, as pagans, as people who are defiled and, do, and don't live according to God's law. They, they're sinful and they're, they're, they're associated with tyranny like the Romans. They're associated with bad kingdoms like Egypt. They're not the people of God. So it just keeps getting worse. He's betrayed by his friends. He's condemned by the Jews. Now he's condemned by the Gentiles. They're going to mistreat him. Your legacy as a Christian might be misunderstood. Or maybe not just under, misunderstood, but intentionally ruined. As we follow Christ, people aren't always going to respond to us the way that we want. They may be actually out to get us like they do for Jesus. And it gets worse. Verse 34, they're going to mock him with their voices. They're going to spit on him. They're going to flog him and kill him. And the disciples are thinking, well, if I'm with Jesus, is this going to happen to me? Of course it is, unless you lie like Peter and say, I don't know the man. And then you're denying him. You see, there's two responses. One of them is astonishment. And the other one is fear. The astonishment is seeing God for who he really is. And being so amazed and seeing the, the value of what he brings and who he is as, as the son of God, the creator of the universe. Cause us to be amazed. And that amazement leads to a following that says what I'm amazed about is worth more than anything that could happen to me. And I think some of us might think, well, that's, that's nice to say, but that's not reality. But we think of that way about our kids. We think that way about sometimes about our work. Some of us work so much that we're dying. We're hurting our bodies. We're hurting our minds. We're doing something that seems like it's gaining value for us and we pay the price for it. That may be ultimate. We have people in the military here that could possibly die on the field of battle because what they believe about what they're doing is worth it. We do this about a lot of things. This isn't just, this isn't just some hokey religion that, that demands the ultimate sacrifice. It's real. But there's two responses. There's one that says what has amazed me by seeing who Jesus is has led me to follow him despite the price. The other perspective says, no, I am okay with where I am. I'm okay in slavery as long as I have some cucumbers to eat. It sounds foolish when we read this. But it also sounds foolish from God's perspective when we say this. You know, I could receive grace and confess and freely live in a, in a, in a community that's based on truth and, and compassion and grace. But it's too scary. It's too scary to, to reveal that, they say. The second response is fear. And then we get back again to the secular statement that says, this, this, this religion is just to cover up nice things, it's to say platitudes and nice things to cover up the reality of life. It's just something that old ladies do on Sunday because they don't have anything else to do and their parents did before. 
and make these general statements about this, about what we do. And it's, it's ultimately ridiculous. Look at the price. Look at the price of what it is, Jesus is saying. You may be astonished at what I'm teaching, but are you willing to step into this path that is taking us ultimately to, to victory? So I ask, I ask myself, it's very convicting for me, because I can stand up here and tell you nice things about Jesus, but am I willing to stand in the way of danger? Am I willing to put myself or my family or people around me at risk for what's right? Am I willing to pay that sacrifice? Am I willing to follow God to the end? But you know, that focuses a lot on what's required of us. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to focus on what is required of us because God is calling us to follow him. But he says, at the very end, three days later, he will rise. Three days later, he will rise. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that, that Christianity is just something that we go through and suffer and, and it's all negative and then we die and then hopefully we get something in return before we, we pass. No, it's what has caused us astonishment. What has caused us amazement when we see the value and the love of Christ, when we see what he's done, when we see who he is, it's not just amazement, it's infinite amazement. It's the price, the price of what we pay to follow Jesus is so diminished compared to what is in store for us, not just in the future, but maybe even in this life now. Not in the fullest extent, but if you look at various testimonies of people, people who have really gone through the thick of this and, and based it, and maybe it was caused by what Christ has done or what Christ has done for them. They go and they move to another country. They go and serve or they may go do this or that. They may move into the inner city and help, help kids that are disadvantaged. You listen to the stories that they give. No, they're not rich. No, they're not famous. No, they're not honored by other people. But there's an incredible peace. There's an incredible joy that comes from knowing that what you're doing is based in truth. And the fact that he rises tells us that we will rise. Not if we pay, not just when we pay the ultimate price or if we die in our sleep when we're 100 years old, we'll rise to be in perfect bodies in his presence, but we'll rise now. Because he's risen, because he's given us the spirit, we can look at these scenarios and say, yes, that might happen to me. But the joy of knowing Jesus at this moment, at this day, in this year, at this time, it's worth it. Do you see that? Do I see that? We have to remind ourselves that it's worth it. We have to remind ourselves that, it, that the price that, and the danger of what is at stake is worth it. The payoff is too great. Not just the blessing from God, but to know God himself. To hear his words, to speak his words that he's given to us. I'll end with this. Our secular friends who diminish the value of this are ultimately saying that they value what's temporary. They value what's in their life now. They value what is, what is fluctuating and not constant. And they diminish the value of faith because they don't fully see the grandeur of who God is. 
today if we truly see what we're, we really see who this man is and who he represents in the fullest extent in heaven God himself I think he leads us to say what danger <laughs> what of course I'm following him are you astonished or are you afraid? If you're afraid, that's okay. The apostles were afraid. Jesus was even a little bit afraid in the garden when he said, God, can you, can you pass this cup that I'm about to drink of your wrath? But you know what? Jesus said, no, your will be done, God. You will be afraid, but we have to remind ourselves of the astonishment and if you haven't been astonished yet, keep looking. Keep looking at stories like this that tie together so well. And maybe even pray to God himself to reveal that in you. Or maybe your faith is solid as a rock and you don't struggle with fear, you're confident. And maybe that's caused you to be prideful to think maybe it's a little bit more about you and your performance. God's calling us back to the gospel. That he is going to the cross for us and will rise. And because he rises, we rise. And because he's done this for us, we, in the amazement of what he's done, pass it on. That's the truth. Amen. Typically, in the service, we, we have a moment of silence, just reflection. I know a lot of words were just spoken, and these texts are sometimes pretty heavy. I encourage you to think about something in the text. Think about it. Focus on it. Maybe a phrase. Maybe it's something that you feel right now just about what this means to you. Or it may mean nothing to you. It's a perfect time to pray and to say, God, show me. Reveal to me what this is. And if you're having a trouble holding on to your faith, pray for more faith. It's this moment that you're losing your faith that is strengthening you to trust God in the future when you come out of this situation. And if you just had the best week ever, it's a wonderful time to say, thank you, God, for blessing me, preparing me for going into maybe a future time. Maybe you just came out of a bad time, and it's a great time right now, and the weather's out, and everybody's happy. That's, that's great. Praise God. Let's take a moment, and whatever your situation is, and say those things with sincere hearts, and then we'll stand together, and we'll say what Christians believe and what they've always believed. So let's take a moment. We can trust that he's heard our prayers. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we need. Would you stand with me, please? Would you want to come up, Mike? Please join me in reciting the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
peace of the Lord be with you always. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great mercies that you've shown us. We thank you that you are creator, that there is a God in heaven that is responsible for why we are here. But God, why we are here and what we have done while we're here have been against you. And we acknowledge that. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us. We pray that you will continue to forgive us as we trust in the grace that you've provided through Christ. I pray, God, that you would fill each and every one of us with an amazement of who you are, what you have done, the great measure of your love that's for us that we can't imagine, the future that we have that we can't imagine. We're grateful, God. Give us more gratitude. Give us more trust. Give us more faith. Give us more love for other people. Give us more compassion and empathy for other people who bug us and drive us crazy and, and maybe even are out to get us or hurt us or our enemies, God. Give us the ability to see them like you see us. And I pray that you would give us great strength all of us here today have different things that we're facing, God. Please give us strength as we face those things. And if we're facing great things, God, thank you for those things. Thank you for this time of blessing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for this city. We thank you for the, the, the good things that are happening with the, with the mass uh, vaccinations, with... Um, People getting back to work and getting out and about, God, and, and just seeing people walking up and down Boca Chu, it's, it's, it's a good thing to see people happy and, and, and being able to get out and be with people that they care about. Thank you for relationships and, and some of us in the congregation to be able to see old friends. And I've had time to rest, God. God, we pray that you would continue to move in the city of Vilnius, that you, would, that you would reveal the truth, that you would change hearts, that you would allow people to see that where they are or where they're going or the things that they want to cause them to be happy are, are causing the opposite, God. I pray that you would give us perspective. We pray that your spirit would pour out on this town. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And God, we, we lastly, we pray for the world. There's so many crises. There's so many issues. There's so much conflict and pain and suffering and, and victims of those events. Those natural things, some that we've caused, some that have not been caused by us. But God, we are experiencing hardships, especially in other countries and in other parts of the world, God, we pray that you would show mercy on us. 
God, we pray that, that we would be actively involved in the betterment of this world. Not just because we're obsessed with the material of this planet, but the fact that you have created this place and that we are stewards of what you've given us and that it represents the change that you want to bring. God, I pray that we would be more active in that, that we would see how important we are in this world for your gospel, and I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would bring an end to conflict that we see, the people that we may not know, but we see on the news. God, we pray ultimately, too, that that as the, the economy picks up worldwide, that, that people would, would continue to find uh, support financially and, and sustenance and that people would be able to provide for them and their families. We pray for those who aren't here. We pray that you would protect those who are hurt and who are sick. We thank you that that some folks in our church have, have healed from recent illnesses, and we thank you, God, that you have provided for them. And we pray, lastly, God, that you would return and that you would restore all things and that you would bring justice and that you would bring infinite blessing to those who are for you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we'll close, we'll close our prayer uh, with the Lord's Prayer, which, which can be found on the back of our sheet. Um, so we'll pray that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This last song, hymn, is a, is a celebration of the blessings that we have in Christ. As we sing it, remind yourself of the great blessing that, that God has given you even today, even if... You're in a time of trouble. Hymn 68, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
benediction today comes from the Apostle Paul to a church that he's encouraging in Romans. And he says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thank you.